stand up here and face this way. You hear that greeting. That's a, that's a good start to things. This morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We've been looking at the commands of Jesus. And we've talked a little bit about the command to repent, command to be humble, love your enemies, among others. Today we're going to look at a passage about storing up treasures in heaven. As we go through it, we want to talk about treasures on earth. We we'll talk about treasures on heaven. In heaven, we're going to talk about the consequences of storing up each different kind of treasure. We're also going to talk a little bit about the eye, the lamp of the body. Who's your master? And hopefully at the end we will get to a little bit of application of what we've learned. So that's the general direction we're going today. So let's read our primary passage for the day. It's Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Matthew 6 and verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. So he starts off with a negative. Do not lay up treasures on earth. What are treasures on earth? Well, we're pretty familiar with that. Those are the tangible things. Things that we can see. Things we can touch and handle. They're easy to relate to. They benefit us. They make our life comfortable. However, they are very temporary. And there is no security in them. You see, they can be destroyed by natural processes like moth and rust. They just, left alone, they decay. The Bible puts it this way. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle which all concern things which perish with the using. That's God's reflection on treasures on earth. Believe it or not, science affirms that as well. In the second law of thermodynamics, it says there is no natural process, the only result of which is to cool a heat reservoir and do external work. What all that means 
is that if I set a hot cup of coffee on my desk and walk away and come back tomorrow, the coffee will be cold and nothing will have been done because of it. It just deteriorates. The world is that way. Science tells us that it is deteriorating constantly. The other way we can lose those treasures on earth is through thieves. There's nothing natural about that process. That's a result of sin entering into the world at the very beginning. When one man fell, sin entered into the world, the Word tells us. And some men steal. We're made in the image of God. That means I know what's mine and what's yours and what stealing is, whether I like it or not. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah teaches us. Apart from God, self-preservation, self-satisfaction, self-promotion, instant gratification, I want what I want when I want it. So that's the other way we can lose things. What does God tell us when we receive Him? He says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. So the thief who comes to know the Lord Jesus is to labor with his hands to provide for others. You see, the treasure on earth is subject to these natural and human ways of loss. So it doesn't last very long at all. Treasures in heaven, on the other hand, are eternal. They do not decay by any sort of natural process because they are kept in heaven by God. What are those treasures in heaven? How do we get them? It says store up in treasures in heaven. What do you do? Well, I would submit a good list is in Matthew 25. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And whenever you did one of these things to the least of his brothers, Jesus said, you did it to him. Another way you can build up treasures in heaven is to exercise your spiritual gift for the body. Each one of us who has received the Lord Jesus Christ has at least one spiritual gift. You may have more than one, but you're to exercise it. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. For ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. That's Paul's teaching 
in the book of Romans, chapter 12. In order to do that, we need to constantly come back to the scriptures. We need to constantly come to God in prayer. These are ways that we can build up those treasures in heaven. The Apostle Paul tells us, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We need to store up those treasures in heaven. We need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit within us. Each one of us has that spirit when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. In other words, these things are not to be kept to ourselves. They're to be used for the profit of fellow believers, and they're to be used to bring the gospel to the unbelieving world, to be light and salt. How about the unbeliever? Can the unbeliever store up treasures in heaven? Well, we read in the Scriptures, in Matthew 19, Jesus, in Matthew 25, then he, Jesus, will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you curse me, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That, to me, is the most frightening verse in Scripture. To hear our Lord say that when I meet him, Depart from me. I cannot imagine... If it were possible for the unbeliever to store up treasure in heaven, then how could the Lord Jesus say to someone who has that treasure, depart from me? So it would appear that the beginning of storing up treasures in heaven is to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to know Him as Lord and Savior before you can begin to store up those treasures in heaven. And there's another verse that I want to deal with that also uses the phrase treasure in heaven. It's found in Matthew 19, verse number 21. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, the man who came to him and said, what must I do? And Jesus cited some of the commandments. Don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't covet. And the young man said, well, of course I've done all that since I was a youth. But then Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell what you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Well, there you have it, the formula, right? You want treasure in heaven, there's a formula. Just go sell what you have and give to the poor. There's only one problem with that. As our brother Larry Price pointed out to us a couple weeks ago, there's a structure to the Gospel according to Matthew. Some sections of it are straightforward teaching. 
simply teaching of principles for all of us at all times and all places. That's what we're reading in Matthew 6, where it says, store up new treasures in heaven. That's a command for all of us at all times. However, in Matthew 19, we have a narrative. It's recounting the encounter between Jesus and this rich young man. And he's telling him, in this case, a command that is for one person at one time in one particular situation. It's the command to rid yourself of whatever stands between you and the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't necessarily have to be everything you have. But if there is an idol that stands between you and the Lord, it needs to go away. So we have it not necessarily a command. See, if you think about it, what it would do is it would create this kind of a vicious cycle. If every one of us sold everything we had and gave to the poor, then we would be poor and they would have what we have. And now the command applied to them and it would go back the other way. You see how it would work? So as was pointed out in our Wednesday night study a couple weeks ago, you take the scripture literally when it makes sense to do so. But when it doesn't make sense, you have to look a little deeper. So we've talked about treasures on earth. We've talked about treasures in heaven. What happens when you store up treasures in heaven? Well, again, in Matthew's Gospel, we read, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks, we read in Luke. So, where your treasure is, there your heart is. And what's in your heart is what comes forth. A good man brings forth good things. Okay. What are some of those good things? I would submit that one of the lists of good things could be found in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Sacrificial love, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, they're all things that reach out toward others. And as we reach out toward others, we develop relationships with them. Our inner man gets the joy and the peace and the self-control. And it's all a result of storing up that treasure in heaven. It's all about relationships. How do we relate 
to our fellow man, believers and unbelievers alike. Philippians 4, 8 and 9 is another good list. I know these are familiar to all of us, but as we read in the epistles, sometimes repetition is beneficial to remind us. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are a good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. What does it mean to meditate on something? It means to fix your mind on it. Just kind of roll it around, maybe say it over and over and over. You see, our minds are always active. Always. They're always thinking about something. You can't turn it off. You may be listening to me. You may be thinking about what your dish is doing downstairs in the kitchen. You may be thinking about what your dog's doing at home. But your mind is working on something right now. Okay? And meditating on these things, all these good things, is what's going to protect your mind. It's going to insulate it from the evil. So you want to keep those things in your mind always. In Colossians chapter 3, we see another one. Colossians 3, 1 and 2, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. It's not a conditional if. It could be read as since you were saved with Christ. Seek means to diligently search for. It's not an easy thing to be a Christian. You have to keep looking for the things of God. You have to focus and turn your mind to those things above. Things on earth cross your path all the time. And it brings thoughts to your mind, sometimes thoughts that aren't so good. I'm reminded of the old analogy, if a bird lands on your head, shoo them away. Don't let them build a nest. Same thing with your thoughts. If a thought comes into your mind and you know that it's not a good one, don't dwell on it. Send it away. Replace it with one of these things we were just talking about. Setting your mind on things above, fix it firmly without wavering. It's a conscious act. It's intentional. These things are not natural for us. We don't naturally desire them. We see and desire the things of earth. So we looked at what happens when you store your treasures in heaven. What happens if you store up your treasures on earth? Well, if we think a little bit about the story in Luke chapter 12 of the rich man, he had lots of things. In fact, more things than he had room to store. Much grain, much wealth. And what was his answer? 
I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns and I'll store more stuff. But how did the story end? This night, your life will be required of you. It didn't help him at all. You know, we read from Galatians 5 a list of things that you can come count on when your treasures are stored in heaven. But in that same chapter, beginning in verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, and on and on and on. No good thing comes of storing up treasures on earth. Treasures on earth require maintenance, too. They have that in common with treasures in heaven. You can have lots of treasure in heaven, but if you're not working on that renewing of your mind all the time, those things kind of stagnate. They stay right where they are. Treasures on earth need to be maintained. Treasure in heaven requires a renewal of your mind. So they have that in common. Constant maintenance. So, where your treasure is, there your heart is. And that's what comes out. Now we come to a couple of verses. When you first look at it, they look to be out of place. Verses 22 and 23 talk about the lamp of the eye. Now I noticed on the, the outline that we're using for this series, it said Matthew six nineteen through 21, and verse 24. It skipped over 22 and 23. Because they do look out of place when you start first look at it. But then you realize when you think about it, this is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit did not put something in here out of place. There's a reason for it. It's here because it goes along with what came before it and what comes after it. Is that out of place? No, I don't think so. Proverbs 28 and verse 22 says, A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. And Proverbs 22.9 says, He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. Job talked about making a covenant with his eyes. You see, the eyes see the things of earth, those treasures that you're not supposed to store up. And when the eye sees them, that creates a desire for them in the mind. That's where we get in all the trouble. And when we read these verses, we read about the good eye. 
The word translated good can mean single, sincere, simple. The stress there is on one purpose and one purpose only. Devotion to God. Walking in the light. You know, the Bible tells us that men would rather be in the darkness than in the light. Because in the darkness, you can't see the sinfulness of man. If you walk in the light, then you can only see the good things. You will keep your eye on heavenly things and not think on earthly things. That's the good eye. The bad eye, the word bad, full of labors, annoyances, and hardships. And when you stop to think about it, if you focus on the things of this earth, that's what you usually end up with. Labors, annoyances, and hardships. The bad eye reflects an obsession on an earthly life without God. Now Christians, well, we have those moments when our eye focuses on the wrong thing. But with God and the Holy Spirit within, and the conviction we experience... For the Christian, those things become teaching moments. When God, if we let him, can teach us and grow us and make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. But the darkness is described as full and great. So you want to be careful and not focus on that darkness. Because it can overtake you. Remember, we have been delivered from the power of darkness. Darkness has power. But we have been delivered from that through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see, really, this passage here about the eye reinforces that contrast between heavenly treasure and earthly treasure the good and the bad. It's not really out of place at all. And then we come to verse 24, and the question becomes, who's your master? We are created to recognize one greater than ourselves, a master. We can't help it, no matter how hard we try. We know There is something more outside of us, whether we believe in God or not. Romans chapter 6 says, Do you know, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey? Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Your bond slaves, bound to obey the one that you give yourself to. To do sin is obedience to evil and disobedience to God. Obedience unto God is righteousness. 
when he talks about serving the two masters, he mentions love and loyalty. Those are things that will cause us to sacrifice for others. When he talks about masters to sin, he talks about hate and despise. To hold in contempt and regard with ill will. To give slight to. But notice, it's either or. There is no middle ground. You can't sit on a fence. You can't have one foot in each camp. You can't be one kind of person here on Sunday and another kind of person tomorrow at work or tomorrow at school or tomorrow at home. There's only two possibilities. You are slave to God who has their treasures in heaven or you're a slave to mammon, money and earthly goods, treasure on earth. So there's only two camps. Sin or righteousness. Obedience or disobedience. And what does all this mean for our our daily life? How do we live it out? What can we do to store up those treasures in heaven? The first thing I would say is recognize that we are stewards, managers, and not owners. Psalm number 50, God says, For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. The wild beasts of the field are mine. The world is mine and all its fullness. It all belongs to God. Everything on earth. So whatever we have, we are managers. We do not put our trust in those things. We put our trust in God. Because to put our trust in things is to put your trust in something that's going to go away and something that's really not yours in the first place. So remember, we are stewards or managers. Another thing to remember, poverty is not spiritual. Storing treasure in heaven does not mean you have no earthly goods at all. It means you don't worship your earthly goods. We all have things. We need certain things to live. We need food. We need clothing. We need shelter. There's a lot of things we have that we don't need, too. But remember, they're not your own. You manage them. And just like we talked about, to give everything away and make yourself poor is not going to make you more spiritual. Be a good manager of what you have. Conversely, remember that riches are not evil. It is the love of money that gets everyone in trouble. Guard against that. Worshiping and wealth spending it on all sorts of sinful, hedonistic pleasure, that is what God condemns. Certain people, 
will have more than others. Remember the parable. He gave one ten, he gave one five, he gave one one. Each according to their ability. He gives to each one of us according to our ability. I have a cousin who knows the Lord. She has way, way more than I will ever have. She lives in a big house. She goes to the country club. She can bring the gospel to people that I will never reach because I can't move in those circles. Are those riches evil? No, they're not. But God has determined that her ability can handle them and that she will use them for his good. And lastly, remember that God directs everything we do with these treasures we have on earth. God directed us to work not for the accumulation of wealth, but really for our own good. I mean, Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. But you don't work to accumulate an overabundance. You work because you appreciate what you get more when you had to work for it. But now God has to direct the things that you get. He directs what you do with them. I'll close with this story that I read some time ago. I remember the story. I don't remember where I got it. There was a missionary in Europe who had a great desire to own a Mercedes-Benz. And he determined that he could buy a Mercedes-Benz in Germany and have it shipped to the United States cheaper than he could buy one when he came back to the States. So he began to diligently put aside a little bit of money here, a little bit of money there, until one day he had the sum that he needed to buy that Mercedes-Benz in Germany. He was about ready to go get it. But then he got a letter from another missionary in Europe. My little daughter is sick. My little daughter needs an operation. The operation costs $50,000. And we don't have insurance and we don't have $50,000. And the man looked at the $50,000 he had saved. He said, you may not have it, but I do. story doesn't tell whether he ever got his Mercedes. But if you want an example of storing treasure in heaven, that's what that man did at that time. He stored up his treasure in heaven by giving up that money. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you once again that we've been and learn from it. Father, we thank you that you meet our needs here on earth. We pray, Father, that each one of us would 
keep those things on earth that we have in proper perspective. We pray that each of us would set our minds on things above, would meditate on those good things that we have talked about today. Father, we pray that each one of us would store up treasures in heaven. And Father, we pray that if there be any among us who have not yet received the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day they begin to store up their treasure in heaven by receiving Him, receiving the forgiveness of sins. We thank you now for the food that's been prepared for us downstairs. ask you to please bless it to our use and us to your service. And we give you thanks and pray all things in the name of the only one who is worthy, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.